I am so excited to introduce to you all Joel Schwartzberg, which by the way, if you don't know German, that means Black Mountain. And Mr. Schwartzberg is in New Jersey at this moment. He normally works in New York City. He is the communications person for the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And as if that were not enough, he also coaches people uh, on the public speaking. So he does his day job is communication and his side job is communication. <laughs> so he is quite accomplished. He was even a champion public speaker in college. So I cannot wait to uh, get some tips from him. I actually discovered Joel. He wrote an article about um, communication in the online context for Harvard Business Review. And he graciously agreed to let me interview him for the Speak Up podcast. So welcome, Joel. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, Laura. Thank you. Well, tell me, how did, for, how did you get started? Like, walk me through, I didn't even know you could do public speaking in college. Tell me, I was an awkward introvert, so I never would have been uh, doing that. Uh, tell, walk me through your background a little bit. Sure, and I think I would still be a little awkward. You know, um, this public speaking, it, it can be done effectively whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, but I certainly wouldn't have had these kind of aspirations or confidence, but for doing competitive public speaking starting in sixth grade in Texas in middle school. And we would go to tournaments and we would do speeches and a little bit of drama. And to make a very long story short, I just continued with it all the way through my senior year of college. And by that time I learned a thing or two, I would hopefully so. And I was a national champion in an event called After Dinner Speaking. Then afterwards I coached for a few universities. And then really, Laura, I thought my career was done as most people's basketball or baseball or chess or whatever interest you have in high school and college would be over. But I realized something. As I interviewed for jobs, as I presented to my colleagues, as I shared ideas with my supervisors, I was employing and leveraging a lot of the skills I learned in competition. And I realized that I can share those ideas and teach people based on what I learned in competition. That's really how this all started around 2006. And I built a client base and over time, this morphed into a more sophisticated program and then a few years later, as I began doing this, I realized that while I was training strong public speakers, I would often ask them, well, what's your point? And they would reply with something that wasn't a point. They were confusing points for things like themes, ideas, notions, titles, categories, chapters, catchphrases. And these things are not points. So I decided to really focus all my efforts into understanding what a point is, and basically it's an argument, not, not a sharing thing, um, how to sharpen it and how to champion it. And that culminated in this book called Get to the Point, Sharpen Your Message and Make Your Words Matter, which I published in 2017. That kind of captures all of these ideas that I use in my workshop and I, I proselytize in conferences and I utilize in my work. Yes, I mean, it's so many people either ask Getting to the point is so important, not just for public speaking, but for all speaking. And I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And what, what, I mean, apart from preparing a public presentation, like 
what would you suggest to someone who just right i call them the rambling roses that they right. have a hard time like getting to it what what's your methodology right it starts with understanding that when you ramble it doesn't mean you're a terrible public speaker it means you don't know what your point is <laughs> and if you don't know your point then you're going to ramble because you're just kind of fumbling around in the dark for your own idea so if someone comes in with a theme like well i'm going to talk about podcasting what are you telling me about podcasting? What's your point? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it reaching an older audience or millennials? Can it be leveraged in a certain way? You're not making an argument until you say, we can use podcasting to reach this particular audience or to achieve this very specific goal. And Laura, you can't even say, uh, all right, my speech is on the importance of podcasting or the importance of stopping the pandemic or the importance of social media. Because why is it important? And what's important to me may not be important to you. So what I wanna get across, what I try to get across to my clients is this idea is that a point is a very specific proposal that you're making that results in a very specific impact. But even that was unclear to most people. So I wanted a test, I wanted a quiz that basically people can yes. take in their homes. Uh, green light, red light. This is your on your way to making a point. Eh, you gotta start all over, go back to square one. And it's this, it's called the I believe that test. And basically, you take what you think is your point. It should be one sentence, what you would go into a conference with or to that Monday morning, Monday morning staff meeting. Now, just put the words, I believe that, in front of it. And if you now have a complete sentence that is not a run-on, not a fragment, if it would impress your fourth grade language arts teacher, uh, then you are on your way to making a point. So, for example, you can't say, I believe that podcasting or I believe that the importance of our millennial audience, or I believe that the mission behind public speaking. See, those aren't complete sentences. So you have to reimagine it until you decide, oh, I believe that public speaking provides the building blocks for making people understand your idea. Or I believe that podcasting is the best way we're gonna reach our millennial audience. Uh, it forces you to make a proposal. Go ahead, Laura. Yes, you can tell. That she, yeah, Jill can see that I'm chomping at the bits. Like I want to, I want to practice. Sure. So, if I were to say, like I, people ask me, what are you know, what is your business about? And I say it's about communication and culture, but that's not a point. Right. You can say I believe that communication and culture. I, right. I believe that conversations both reflect and shape your culture. Is that a point? That is on your way to making a point because it passes the I believe that test. Uh, say that one more time, but put the words I believe that in front of it. So I believe that conversations both reflect and build or shape your culture. I think that passes the first part of the test mm -hmm. because it is a complete sentence. And then it passes a small part of the test, which is a truism test. Is it something you need to argue because your audience might have a contrary opinion, or do they just not know about it and need to know about it? But one of the things that I talk about in strengthening a point, once you get there, what you have, is asking why. Well, why is that important? Why is it important to shape our culture in this way? Well, your culture, your company can only be as strong as the culture that supports it. I see. So this is a way to uh, elevate your company or your mission in the end? It's actually a way to elevate your profitability, right. your agility, your performance. <clears throat> I think culture is the petri dish 
for an organization. So the organization is in the Petri dish. Is the, is the goo healthy goo? Is it good or right. not good? So to boil that down, it sounds what I'm hearing from you, Laura, is that if we understand our culture like X, and you would help me, you know, how we appreciate culture, then your company will be more profitable. Let's stick to one and I'll explain okay. why in a second. Yeah. So what would that sense be? If we do X, your company regarding culture, your company will be more profitable. If you have a better, a healthier mm -hmm. culture leads to a better bottom line. Ah, a healthier culture leads to a better bottom line. Now that is perfect. And I think your audience right now would, would uh, agree with that. And we found that by making sure it's a point using the I believe that test and then asking why, what is the ultimate goal? Because sometimes I have clients who say, all right, well, this will bring more traffic to our website. Mm -hmm. or this will bring more money in. But that stops short because what is the goal of bringing more money in? It's to be able to further our mission or to sell more Coca-Cola or whatever it is. What is the objective of bringing more traffic to our website? It's not really bringing more traffic to our website. It's right. that more people will know about our brand, will buy our product, or will you know, be a participant in our mission. So keep asking why until you get to that bottom line. I often use an example from NPR. You know, we, a lot of people listen to NPR and there's this time of the year when they do a fundraising drive. Mm -hmm. And you'll often hear, well, you should give money to NPR. Now that passes the I believe that test because <laughs> it's a complete sense, yeah. but it's missing out on these strengthening things. Why? Well, because uh, we need the money. Why? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to use the money to make uh, great radio shows or great products. Now, they often stop there. And that's fine. But another thing I learned is that your point is strongest when it ends on an impact on people and society versus things. So saying that money toward NPR will create uh, better radio shows is really not the best goal because the best goal would be is to make people smarter or make right. people more aware through those TV shows. So keep asking why until you get to an improvement on society. Uh, you know, a lot of the most famous businesses, their taglines, they realize this and they want to elevate society in a certain way, not just sell more product. Mm -hmm. Apple, mm -hmm. for example, is very mm -hmm. famous for saying, you'll be a different kind of person if you buy an iPod. Uh, this is not just what you need is a device where you can listen to music. No, uh, this will elevate your appreciation for the world as a person, as a human being, all that stuff. So what everyone needs to do, and I often call this the saving lives uh, impact. If you work in an organization that is about saving lives, whether it's animals or humans, you wanna draw a direct line between your point and how what you're suggesting will save more lives. Now your saving lives may be profitability, it may be selling more Coca-Cola, it may be uh, advancing the understanding of an audience or uh, ending cancer, Whatever it is, you need to identify that highest value impact and then explicitly driving to that in your single point. And then the only other thing, there are two things that corollaries to this that are important. One of which is what I call badjectives. Badjectives are adjectives that are so broad that they mean virtually nothing. So we're talking about the things we hear all the time. This is great. This is gonna be awesome. very good. This is an awesome <laughs> approach. Uh, even this is going. This is going to be very interesting. The problem is, I'm really not saying anything at all. 
not only because it's so broad, but because Laura's idea of awesome and interesting may be different from Joel's idea of awesome or interesting. And to solve this problem, again, ask why. Why is it awesome? Oh, because it'll put us in a unique place to reach our goal. Then get rid of the awesome. Don't say it's awesome because, just get rid of the awesome. Just say this approach will enable us to uniquely achieve that goal. Right, I love that you get, yeah, get rid of those. Just words. get rid of them. I didn't think about them being really meaningless, but they're certainly overused. And you're right. What does awesome really mean? Anyway? Yeah, and I see it all the time. And your audience is going to see it all the time. Let me tell you, this is going to be awesome. Well, you haven't told us anything yet. And I'm waiting for people to actually get to their point. And the final really important corollary, corollary is uh, what I call split ends. And uh, it's not about shampoo. It's about <laughs> people who try to put so many subpoints and ideas and um, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah, mind, their mind is thinking. Well, the more I add to this, it's like a Christmas tree. The more things I put around it, um, the more it'll glow, mm -hmm. and the more right. power it'll have because I'll have six ideas, right, instead of three, or I'll have mm -hmm. twelve instead of six. So here's the problem, Laura, and you probably know this already. When you give your audience multiple ideas, here's what happens. You're thinking I'm giving them more, but they're thinking, all right, now I have to consider all of these ideas against each other. I have no clues as to which is more important than the other. You told me one, but now I got to think about two. And now, all right, so I got two in my brain, now I got to think about three. And then you gave me a fourth, where does that fit in? I mean, you're giving your audience so much trouble and so much competition in their head between these points that the points actually fight each other. And when points fight each other in the mind of your audience, the power and the impact of each is diluted. So one idea has actually the strongest value and the strongest impact to an audience. Sometimes they say, if you have a lot of ideas, your audience may get none. If you have many ideas, they'll get some. If you have one idea, they will get all. So really try to boil it down. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have multiple points, but delineate them. First, I'm gonna talk about how this affects the United States. Second, we're gonna look at the world. And then before, before we finish, we're gonna look to the future and see how the world of 2030, uh, this will be contained there and why that's important. But make it very clear, these three separate points, don't use that word and to say, uh, we're gonna do this and this and this. And just as a test, pretend you have a CEO and the CEO says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this approach is going to make us more successful, evocative, interesting, powerful, memorable, superlative. Whoa. And you already know that, like, what is happening in your ears? You forgot the first one. You forgot the first yeah. two. It's a mess. It's overload. Cognitive yes. overload. Total cognitive overload. And that's what happens when you use four points, not just 14. Right. So try to really boil it down. And that gives you the best chance of your audience not only having attention, but key, taking that point away. Wow, that is so good. I, I, don't, I don't do public speaking coaching, except when, I guess, if, people, if you're asking for money, that kind of, <laughs> that's a very specific niche. Right. But it's more about within an organization, uh, building relationships and, um, and, and having better meetings and that kind of thing. And, and, and the part of the problem I hear about from everybody is, oh, so-and-so doesn't get to the point, or how right. do you get to the point? Right. So are there 
any habits just in your everyday conversation that can help people just be more succinct? Yeah, one of the things, and you know, succinct is important and being brief is important, but at the core of that is knowing what your point is and how can you express that point in the most boiled down way that has the best impact. And I use a lot of metaphors, but one that really works because I see a lot of book reports. When you have town halls or when you have meetings mm -hmm. or conferences, what are you telling me? You're telling me how many people, when it started, here's the history, uh, what we yes. hope to do, what our goals are, everything but if we do this right, we're going to save lives. Maybe that's buried somewhere, the, the why, right. as Simon Sinek would say. So right. uh, the way I help to get people to that is one of two ways. One is I have them imagine a book. And the book has two big things. One is the table of contents, mm -hmm. which describes the content. Mm -hmm. and the other is the blurb on the inside cover or sometimes on the back that sells the content. Right. You want to be the blurb, not the table of contents. So every page of your PowerPoint, every point you make, you want to be asking yourself, am I selling this point or am I merely sharing and describing it? Oh, wow. That's so good. And you're selling, even if you're a project manager on yeah. an engineering firm. You know, I used you to work on the uh, editorial group of a, uh, a kid's magazine called Time for Kids. Oh. And the president of Time for Kids brought all of us, the, the people in merchandising, the people in marketing and ad sales and, and the writers mm -hmm. uh, into a room. And they brought in this really hardcore uh, sales trainer, like real Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of guy. Uh -huh. And put us through the ringer. And those of us who are writers were, were thinking, why are we here? Right. We're not in the business of selling. We're the writers. Right. Send us back to our offices. This is really for the ad sales people, the people who have fantastic offsites. But she was right. Because if you have an idea, we know that's valuable. And if you have something of value, you do right by selling it, not just by sharing it. So we are all in sales. And something I say all the time is sort of a mantra. If you have an idea, you're in sales because it's your job to sell that idea. I had a client once who created, she created hats and uh, uh, pictures and posters, all this sort of collateral material. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, well, give me your best pitch. Sell your point. Mm -hmm. She goes, okay, here we go. See this hat? Uh, this hat can have your logo on it, three different colors, and an elephant can step on this hat and it won't crush, special material. Mm -hmm. And here's a pin. This pin will go through your shirt, but it won't pierce your skin. It won't bring out blood because mm -hmm. there's a special nanotechnology. And by the way, your logo can go on this pin in three different colors. Mm -hmm. And she went on and on about this. And finally she was done. I said, you're done? She said, I'm done. I said, uh, you made your point? She said, yes, I described the entire inventory and what's great about it. Oh my gosh. And I said, you know what I never, <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know what I never heard? I understand you did that, but you never said these words. If I buy your product, I will be more successful. And that is the point. And she never said it. She may have assumed it and assumed the road to that was through description of inventory. But no, those words have to be uttered uh, clearly in order to actually sell that point. Yes, it's so true. I love that sales training for ideas. And, yeah. and, and the thing is, if you don't have an idea, then why are you, why are you employed? Why are you working for right, us? Right, I don't know your idea. And sometimes yes. you call it an elevator pitch. You know, it's that right. idea that you get out between floors two and three. Uh, sometimes it's called a thesis. We learned it mm -hmm. in schools. 
I like point because point has a lot of good associations with it. Yes, it's not so uh, dry. I would, and, yeah, I was thinking that writing a thesis, I yeah. would do that again. Right. <laughs> but it sounds like that a lot of the problem with communication, and this has been a, something that I have been thinking about, but I haven't articulated, but it seems like from what you're saying that a lot of the problem is that people just haven't thought through their points. Right, or have been given the tools or the approach to think through their points. Mm -hmm. They've been told, all right, we'll make it short. So, all right, I'm gonna cut words. <laughs> or, you know, dig into it. What do you think your point is? And they'll say, my point is the importance of Twitter. Mm -hmm. And they're not making clear the actual point. It's about being explicit in what that point is. So I don't fault people for not knowing what their point is, even as children. Children aren't often trained to understand that they need to make a point, an argument, as we mm -hmm. used to say in debate. Right. What, what do we remember from school? We remembered, compare and contrast these two things. Right. Well, to what end? What argument they're trying to make? Even I try to help my, my kids understand, especially as they take SAT tests and they're doing right. the essay. I said, rule number one, understand the point you want to make, then write to support that point. But if Very you start good. thinking, oh, I'll write from word one, and then at some point I'll end with word 62, it's not going to be good. <laughs> what about people who say, well, I just need to think out loud, or I don't have time to do all of this stuff, all this uh, processing that you're telling me? What would right. you say to them? I'm sure you've heard that. <laughs> I would say, I'm trying to make this easier for you. You're the one that's trying to make it harder by thinking I'm going to apply two hours to this, lock myself in the room, and just think, 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 think. Right. What I'm saying is use this very easy, I believe that test. All right, pass the test, you're on your way. Mm -hmm. Now use these sharpening skills. Uh, don't use too many examples. Get rid of your, your adjectives. Mm -hmm. uh, think hard about what you want to do. And by the way, related to this, I discourage people from writing out speeches word for word. It's a never. Unless you're a CEO giving a keynote somewhere. Right. Uh, it's always much more trouble than it's worth and it's very, very perilous. And it connects to having a point because you need to understand it's, you know, speechwriters hate to hear this, uh, but it's not about the words. It's about your point. You don't right. want people to take away, wow, those are some fantastic uh, high caliber words that that no, speaker used. I, yeah. You want them to take away point. And you can use many different words to make your point. We have thesauri right. <laughs> for a reason. Right. And you ultimately want people to not remember what you said, but what you meant. And that means taking away your big point. Because if your audience doesn't take away your point, then you've really failed. If they do take away your point, even if everything else is imperfect, then you've succeeded. That's the ball game, them taking away your point. Often people who are learning about public speaking, they think, oh, I need to be funnier. I need mm -hmm. to be charismatic. I need to be yes. interesting. I need to be knowledgeable. I need to be famous. I need to be thought of as a genius. Right. Well, what good is all that stuff unless your goal is to get more public speaking gigs? Right, right. You, and right. this helps people who are nervous also. You are a delivery person and you are not selling yourself. You're moving your point from this place, A, to this place, B. So right. think of yourself as a delivery person, not as a performer. You're a presenter, not a performer. That should take some heat off your nervousness by turning it into spotlights on me and I need to perform to, hey, I have a job to do. And one yes. way or another, I gotta move this thing, this very physical thing from my right. brain to my audience's attention. 
I love that. And you know what, when you're, when, as you're explaining, you know, why some people uh, fall in love with the words or they get mm -hmm. focused on the wrong thing. I'm also thinking that today, especially today, here we are, it's May, 2020, your book was written, you probably wrote it in 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm attention spans are getting shorter. Like people are zoning out. They're not even listening to you if you right. don't have a point. I mean, is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. And I'll even uh, make it even more specific. What I tell all my public speaking students and clients is your audience needs twice as long to receive your point as you need to say it. Because when you're saying something, you're just saying it. It's in your head, you practice it, it comes out. What do they need to do as an audience? They need to hear it, process it, apply it, make sense of it, consider it relevant or not. Should I write it down or not? Should I tweet it or not? Uh, this multiplicity of things. And if you're just burning through point, 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 idea, 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 detail, 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 they're not gonna be able to have the time to really receive the idea you're trying to put out there. And if you hit them with seven ideas, only two of them are really the strong points, there's a good chance that they're gonna take away the wrong one. Now this connects to some basic public speaking uh, approaches, mm -hmm. one of which is pausing. When you pause, you allow that time for your audience to receive, to process, to make relevant. It also gives you time to prepare and to be precise. Often when we talk, our mouths are running ahead of our minds. So blah, 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 mouth, mouth. Our minds are trying to catch up. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I want to make sense of it. I want to put it in the right order. I want to take away some of those things so you can focus right. on the right things. But when you pause, you flip that. So your mind is ahead of your mouth. And when you take that time, and I do this test for the over 12 years I've been teaching people, I say, right now, tell me the most important thing about your job. But take your time use pauses and them being slower and introducing pauses deliberately, like I'm trying to do right now, mm -hmm. it empowers them to be precise because it gives their minds time to produce the words and the ideas that they're driving toward. So but it only take, happens if yeah. you slow down and you if use you pauses. slow down, yes. But we're all, I think there's, there's a fear of boring people if you talk too slowly. You know, my thing about boring an audience is all about relevance. Mm -hmm. If you know your point and you're championing your point, and I always use that word, be a champion I love of that. your point, not just yes. a share of your point, then that should be relevant to an audience if you know what the audience is there for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you make an assumption about the audience that may be wrong. That's about understanding your audience. But if you know what you're there for, you know why your audience is there, you know what they want to receive from you, then rely on the strength of your point to, to really have an impact on them. I rarely find an audience that says, well, that was a great speaker, but he was a little too slow. Yeah. But you that was a great speaker, but she made her point too often. This idea, <laughs> oh, we might bore them because we say the same things over and over. Now, if we say something that has no meaning to it mm -hmm. or a gravity to it over and over, that will be boring. But you can never say your point too often because that's the gift you're giving your audience. Oh. So you can always come back to that. Even yes. if you start in one place, I say, all right, you're proving your point here. And now you're talking about American Idol and you have no idea how you got from point A to point B. But I give a lot of tools to get back to your point, saying things mm -hmm. like, here's the idea. 
or even, you know, we've talked about a lot today, but here's my point. Uh, media training often trains people to do this. When you get off topic, use a quick shortcut to be get back to your point. I, I really like here's the thing. You know, Laura, we've talked about a lot today, but here's the thing. You need to know your point to make your point. Ah, I love that. Well, let's, um, let's segue and talk about online communication because that's, where, that's how I got to know you. And I even talk about making a point and then people remembering. I remember your point about people's talking in a louder voice in an mm -hmm. online meeting. That really shocked me. I never thought that, I mean, thought about your tone of voice. Um, tell me, how did you find that out? It was always part, it was from the way back, and I knew this from public speaking uh, training, actually, in competition, that if I was louder, sure, more people would be able to hear me. But typically, I was in classrooms or things like that where audibility was not a problem. But here's what happened. When I was louder, I sounded more confident. Right. I sounded more powerful. I sounded more competent. I sounded more authoritative. And so as I transferred this to my public speaking practice, I told everyone, if you get louder, don't think of it as just an audibility thing. Can you hear me? It's an amazing way to get all those yum-yums, as my wife, a fifth grade teacher, likes to say, <laughs> uh, all of those yum-yums that you want your audience to think of you. Often I'll poll my audience when I have someone who has a weak voice. And I'll say, mm -hmm. say your name and your title and your point are one through five. Just say it ridiculously loud mm -hmm. and appropriately loud. Weirdly loud. Don't shout or scream. Just in a, a, a volume that your own brain would say, hey, this is yeah, awkward. Uncomfortable. So they do it. And I poll the rest of the audience. And 9.999 times out of 10, I get back the most amazing things. That person was more assertive, was more knowledgeable, knew what they were talking about, competent, confident. And this too, that person at first sounded like a junior person, an intern. Now they sound like a manager, where that manager sounds like a vice president. And so it gives you um, a virtual promotion as well. Now, here's the thing. Here's the beauty of it. Laura, if I told one of your clients or one of my clients, mm -hmm. hey, sound more like a leader. Hey, can you do me a favor? Sound more confident. Yes. How are they going to do that? That's not actionable. But a child knows how to increase volume. Right. And what I'm saying is all that good stuff you want to get to sound more confident will come if you merely raise your volume. So this applies to a Zoom meeting or a virtual meeting because when we're in a Zoom meeting, we're already in our pajamas, as we like mm -hmm. to say, we're at home. <laughs> and it's like having a microphone. We may want to relax and use a conversational voice. Right. So remember here too, that if you raise your voice, you will make stronger points and all of those fantastic associations about competence, confidence, authoritativeness, knowing what you're talking about, being more persuasive, sounding more like a leader. Mm -hmm. All these things will be attached automatically, merely by raising your volume. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. That's the cool thing about teaching communication skills is that the person usually already is competent and knowledgeable and all that, but it, that, that's that perception. And, and I know that what sparked my journey in communication as somebody who was a really good student in school, you know, you kind of get programmed to turn right. in the assignment on time and you get a good grade and life's great. And then you get to work. And then you see these people who in high school learned how to sweet talk the teacher into an <laughs> extension and extra credit. 
that they're soaring ahead while this quiet, you know, high right. performers just stuck there doing the work right. and not being recognized and not being recognized as leadership material or being competent or confident. Yeah, so, they were um, selling is what Yes, they exactly. That's exactly. They were selling their idea. They learned to sell early and I learned to sell late, right. <laughs> very late, but better late than never. Yeah, uh, sometimes my clients, and no offense to the lawyers out there, but uh, <laughs> often, I'm going to stereotype, often <laughs> lawyers feel like or, you know, experts are feel, they feel like because I'm so imbued with this knowledge mm -hmm. by virtue of my experience and my reading and the books I wrote, that will just magically come out of me and it'll give me all of that reputational yes. association merely because of you read my bio or my attachment. Right. They don't realize that that is, it's through presentation mainly. That's mm -hmm. the main uh, tool and vessel that you use right. to project that confidence and that reputation. Exactly. And you can have all that and if, and not be perceived as competent because people just tune you out. And, and right. I just think we're doing that faster and faster. We're making these snap judgments. Right. Or they think it's all about the content and that's all people care about. And that's all people are going to use to evaluate me. But as we know, uh, the way you present, is at least half there's some controversy yes. but at least half in how people perceive you and their ability to receive your point will be as a result of your presentational approach exactly well do you, well, do you have any are, other tips based on what you know we're seeing in this new world as we're all communicating in this uh, teleconference whether it's zoom or skype or google hangouts yeah like tell me how things look from your point of view up there in new jersey yeah, well, I wrote the article because I noted that as I was having meetings over Zoom, mm -hmm. and Zoom is what I've been using mostly, but it could be Skype or a number of different platforms, mm -hmm. uh, people were not putting forth their strongest points because of something often visual. So it starts with framing. Uh, understand that, and here's my rule and my big takeaway, it should be your head and your shoulders should fill up a majority of the frame. Mm -hmm. For the same reason you wouldn't give a speech from the way back of the room, right? Uh, you should show you're engaged show as much as you possible, but show the parts of you that are presenting. So be upfront, and that means mm -hmm. showing your, your face and your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Now, the background environment plays a part, because if it's distracting, mm -hmm. then it's like anything else that's distracting. It's pulling attention away from your point. So yeah, you can use all of the virtual backgrounds and all the silly and funny stuff, but know that it's taking away from the point you're trying to make. Uh, the last thing I'll say, because it's, it's, um, it's interesting and a little controversial, is about children and pets. Okay. So a funny story, and I, I, I share this um, because it's funny. When I wrote the article for Harvard Business Review, in one of the points I said that you should avoid having pets or children in the frame distracting from the point you're trying mm -hmm. to make. Mm -hmm. And the editors pushed back a little bit. Yeah. They said, one, sometimes that's impossible. And two, isn't it kind of fun? You know, everyone kind of laughs. Oh, your kid is in there. And, oh, I've heard that argument right. too. Yeah. yeah. So, so we made a compromise. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> the compromise is this. If you are a passive participant in the meeting, mm -hmm. then yeah, you can have your cat in your lap or mm -hmm. you can have a child come in, make sure you're muted. Mm -hmm. so that there's mm -hmm. no audible distraction. Mm -hmm. 
Right. But here's the thing. If you are tasked to give a major presentation, and it is important, just realize this. You cannot present and parent simultaneously. Oh, that is And if you do it, it is not only a distraction to your audience, even more so, it is a distraction to you. Mm -hmm. And you are not going to be able to make the best points you can make in an official um, presentation that you're going to be given. So if you're tasked with that, and that will come days or weeks in advance, try to make arrangements. Put those children in the room in front of the TV. If you have someone else in the house or someone else can come, do everything you can to give your point the best ability to be received and to make a difference to your audience. Yes. Otherwise, it's like you're playing tennis with one arm tied behind your back because, right. you, like you said, you're, you you need all your brain, not just half of it, to really land that point uh, to the audience. Right. And, and don't you think that we're, that people are not going to be going, but we're not going back to the same face-to-face -face meetings as that we had before, right? It's just yeah. too 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 many cost savings. Right, to consider all the overhead, even places like Twitter. I think a lot of the people that went remote are going to be remote now permanently. Yes. If not everybody. So uh, yes. we're definitely moving to a place where it's going to happen more often. So we need to leverage Zoom. We, something, a point I make in the article is don't assume Zoom is just your regular meeting on a different platform. Right. There are other opportunities and other uh, necessary considerations. For example, when you have a regular meeting, you can look your audience in the eye. Mm -hmm. But on Zoom, as a human being, we want to look at people. Right. That is not eye contact. Right. Eye contact, unfortunately, on Zoom is looking into that small, cold, black dot that's at the top of your screen right. or maybe it's a camera connected to your screen. Right. So when you're making your point and you understand, as most people do, that you want to make eye contact when you're right. making your point, try to look into the dot and practice looking into the dot to make your point. And that's looking your audience in the eye. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some benefits to Zoom. Uh, there's some great ways and strategic ways to use chat. There are great ways to uh, show your reactions, whether it's a thumb up or a hand raised. There are even great ways to use the virtual background. It's not just fun. Sometimes if I have three points to make or a word or a thought I want to share, mm -hmm. I'll create that in a virtual background so that you can still see my head as a presenter, but also see the presentation behind me, just mm -hmm. like I would in a regular meeting. Too often we think, oh, I have to share my screen. Well, the problem with that is it diminishes you as the speaker. Mm -hmm. And you never want to turn over the authority of presenting to a piece of technology. You right. want it all to come through you. You are the Batman. Your PowerPoint is the Robin. <laughs> so oh, you want to keep it that good. way if yes. you can. So having your virtual background be the points you're making is one way to make sure you're in the foreground. Yes, I use, I have here to the side, it's taken off for this interview, um, giant post-it notes. And sometimes I'll write things on it just to keep, you know, to simulate that, what, what I use, oh, always be present, look at you. Yeah, now your audience can see uh, this, but I have a various, um, I share these cards on Twitter and they're public mm -hmm. speaking tips. And what I do now is I use them to uh, uh, make my points through virtual mm -hmm. backgrounds. Oh, very cool. Well, Joel, this has been so rich, so rich, so rich. So I know your book is about identifying, sharpening, and sh identifying, sharpening, championing your points. Right. And it, people can find it on Amazon, Joel Schwartzberg. I'll put a link to it, and I'll be sending this out to the my list. Um, 
to, because I know everybody who wants to be a better, not just public speaker, I think just a better communicator. Yeah. I mean, I'm here a lot more applications for the use of getting to the point outside of public speak, speaking. That's just in my world. And, and I know those are great tools and I'm going to start using them myself and teaching them to my clients. I really, yeah. you really did a lot of work in uh, cultivating these specific questions and ways to look at adjectives, like not just seeing that they're overused, but Hey, it doesn't even mean anything. Right. They're destructive. And I, the book is short mm -hmm. and purposefully. So my, my publisher said to me, and I should agree that if I couldn't make my point, in 125 pages and i'm like a dentist with bad teeth so ah, i wanted to uh, uh good. talk walk the walk and talk the talk so my goal at the end of the day because i share a lot of i'm happy to share a lot of this information mm -hmm. for free out there mm -hmm. i really want uh people to benefit from understanding their point i want their audiences to benefit right. and i want people to uh elevate as a result of receiving these points that's right. And I think if they, if they don't learn to get to the point, they're, they're just not going to be able to, you can't move forward. People don't have time. Like you may have time, but your boss doesn't have time to listen to you beat around the bush. Yeah. Well, if you don't have a point, you are indeed pointless. Ah, whoa, that was good. All right, Joel. Thank you so much. And